the most audible. Hold the applause. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on The Athletic Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the legend, El Nino himself, Jay King, beat writer for The Athletic. Jay, how are you doing from quarantine? I'm beautiful, especially because we got a, got a a unique guest today. So the white the white whale we've been chasing for years, the guy who uh, who refused to come on the podcast, and uh, anytime I asked him before, he flat out said no. But it took a pandemic, but we finally got him here from the Boston Globe, a legitimate journalist, probably the most legitimate journalist we've ever had on these airwaves. Adam Himmelsbach, how are you doing, Adam? Good man, I respect the gas, unnecessary. But you guys are not giving me enough respect for the. Um time I came on in Vegas. I know it was a different podcast, but I joined you on a podcast in Vegas. Reluctantly, but you were there. But you also tried to not be on the podcast, even though you were there in the room. Like you, you actively tried to avoid the podcast until we were speaking about something you were passionate about, as I recall. Uh, that's, I don't really remember. I think I was the only one who was completely sober, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. You're suspect. <laughs> I just figured out how to add uh, audio clips, and so that was I jumped the gun real early, but I needed to use it then. Yeah, I kind of liked it. That was a good timing of it. <laughs> All right. So we are here in pandemic. Games have been stopped. Uh, everyone is uh, social isolation, but that doesn't mean that the, the two journalists, uh, Jay and Adam, don't have a job to do. I mean, there was a very thrilling Brad Stevens conference call this week, and both of them, you know, because it's their job, had to write uh, kind of the thrilling recap. It's a competition between these two beat writers. How how do you guys think you uh, you each did on uh, on recapping that Brad Stevens conference call? Adam, we can start with you. This is just an embarrassing topic, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I gave you a quote tweet. I thought it was a good stuff. What did anything I, interesting? I, did, I, I mean, that, so Jay, no, like it's weird. Obviously, there's nothing going on right now. It's kind of <laughs> a hard time to find stories. And Jay and I have talked a lot about this. Like, you want content, but like these situations where there's I think, what did we say? There were 23 people on that call, it said on the recording. We're yeah, all getting like literally the exact same quotes, and then people are tweeting those quotes out. And I know not, not all you know, readers are on Twitter, of course, but um, stuff like that is definitely not the best part of the job. But it was good to hear from Brad. It's good to hear he's creating PowerPoint presentations for his kids about <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Classic so Brad. Well. Like there, there's no more classic Brad thing than just sitting there loading up a PowerPoint presentation for Brady and Kinsley. Oh yeah, I would love to watch that PowerPoint actually. Do you think we, he's- we need to track that down? I would actually read like if if you wrote a story about his PowerPoint, I would read. Yeah, yeah. See, I would read that. That's good content. Now, <laughs> which of you guys have texted Brad Stevens asking for that PowerPoint though? I haven't. Brad. So the I, one I thing I will say about Brad, like. It's weird, and like he, we all have good relations with him. He's a he's a really good guy, you know. Like what you see is really what you get. Um, but it's weird. He like doesn't really have relationships with any of us. Otherwise, like like I don't think there's a single person that Celtics beat who texts with Brad, and he's like the only person in the organization who that is true. Of. Would you say that's true, Jay? Yeah, hundred percent. And he like it's it's hard to even have a human moment with him. It's almost like he's always a robot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, Jay, coming out Jay swinging, Jay. Yeah. I was just trying to put it nicely out here. <laughs> no, no, but like, he's always 
like oh he's gonna pucker now. Very, that's the, uh, that's. <laughs> he's always very very nice like he knows people's names like from the first day they're on the job he calls people by names he's always very friendly it's just like it always feels like he has his guard up at least yeah, a little he bit when he's talking to us and he the always is, knows I, oh yeah i was just gonna say like i i respect that you know like i know if something happens he's not gonna be someone i call because i know he won't answer but it's not because he doesn't like like me or like you, Jay, or whatever. It's because in his mind, if he talks to me, then that's not being fair to A, B, and C, who are also doing the same story. And he like just wants even playing field. So like, would I like if he talked more often, like to this, to us, like whatever, texting or phone calls, like a lot of NBA coaches do with beat writers occasionally, of course. But the fact that it's he's pretty across the board with it, you have to respect that. This is always something I've been fascinated by, but like, how do you guys just start texting with, I guess, sources in general or people in the organization? Like, I have clearly I have no idea what I'm doing. You guys uh, see me walk around the the halls of the TD Garden. How does those How do those relationships kind of get going? Or like, you feel comfortable enough to be like, eh, maybe I'll ask a source about this. How does this work? Like, who's supposed to talk? Like, you, like Packard, aren't you supposed to go like Jay? I don't know if you, if you have a strong take, either of you can step I in. I feel but like I, I just answer. I feel like I was just talking a lot, so I feel like it was Jay's turn to talk. You're the guest, man. It, it, it's it, this is your episode to talk. Uh, we defer to you on this episode. No one needs to hear what Jay wants to think. Well, yeah, actually, no, we all we do, but we want to hear you first, Adam. Well, I don't know. I would just to say like like just like you to create a relationship in the other part of your life. Like you just get to know someone. Like. Like I didn't show up on my first day, like going around the organization, like, hey, what's your, hey, what's up, I'm Adam, what's your number? And then like hit him with a text later, but you just get to know people. Like we literally see these people almost every day and not just the coaching staff. Like, you know, we go to the facility and there's Mike Zarin and there's Danny Ainge. Like you go to TD Garden, there's Steve Luca and there's Wick. Like these are people, like I, I always say, I see these people way, way more often than I do my actual coworkers. Or my family. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I see these people more than my family, more than my friends, and we see them like every single day. It, it's kind of a weird situation where, like, we're writing about these people, but we also just like you by being close to people, you start to build relationships with people. It's not any like rocket science. It's just like the same thing you probably do, Packard, with the people you work with in criminal justice i know but in like that situation you like they give me their business card and it's like uh you understand the transaction it just feels like a weird asking for a source's number is purely transactional because like you know you're just gonna be hitting them up later for information am i wrong here maybe i'm just uh overthinking this i think you're probably overthinking a little bit like they're mo- the the celtics are pretty human and there's like people that just like like to talk and you know they're curious what we think about the team and what they're doing and obviously we're curious what they're doing and and then just like, like I said, these people we see every day. So it's like, hey, a couple of them like live sort of in my neighborhood. Like, hey, have you checked out this restaurant yet? You know, like not everything is like, hey, the trade deadline is fast approaching. What do you have? You know, it's just I think being human is a big part of developing sources and just developing relationships in general. And some of it is just shooting the shit about basketball. Like yeah. the one thing that bonds everybody in the NBA is that everyone loves basketball. And so the same things I would talk about with my friends, you end up talking about with people in the Celtics organization, like the the latest performance by LeBron or like Zion Williamson when he was in college, Zion Williamson when he starts playing for New Orleans. Like it's just the same conversations you'd have with anybody else you could just have with the, the guy that they're just humans, man. 
<laughs> I shouldn't just idolize them. <laughs> you saying that's my, the poor ask, part of my approach? You should ask them about Kaizen. I did ask about Kaizen once, and you were furious with me, Jay. You did it like two that weeks. You did it like, like a week before the NBA shut down, you asked the Kaizen. Yeah, question. and Jay was uh, not pleased. He said I was making a mockery of the entire uh, – every. <laughs> I was insulting every single one of his journalistic brothers. <laughs> did you have the same interpretation, Adam? Uh, I don't know. At this point, Patrick, when you just ask stuff, I just – are we like, oh, do, do you guys swear on here, by the way, or not? Fuck yeah, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at this point, it's, I like that's Packard. Like sometimes people are like, oh – like, I, like, there's some people at Packard who get annoyed that you're a huge fan and credential media member. And I'm oh, someone really? who's pretty anti, like, fan media. But but the, the fact that you are so extreme in it and, like, um, make it very, very clear who you are, I guess. Like, I almost don't see an issue with it. It's, it's like a weird dynamic. Whereas, like, the people who are being real journalists but are also fans, to me, that's, like, a bigger issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I can't. I have to be transparent, and I also uh, try not to be an asshole with the <laughs> credential that they give me. I think that's the key to my success. Is uh, that is important? I there's so many times where I want to ask the dumbest questions possible, just like after a post game, just be like, "Hey, Brad, uh, pretty good basketball out there," because that's kind of like the quality <laughs> of of comment that like the post games or the scrums happen. But yeah. Um, I was thinking recently about just like if basketball ever returns, just showing up in like a Celtic sweatshirt, what the reaction would be in the press box. Because people get people get shat on if you just wear a green shirt. Like they're that you get made fun of for just like being a homer then. I think I need to push the boundaries. I was just gonna say that is true. Like I definitely called out Jay one time. I'm like, dude, you're in Celtics green tonight, and he got real like mad at me. (laughs) I was wearing it was a the athletic t shirt. Like it was Oh yeah. uh, T-shirt from my company. It, it was Celtics green. I'm not gonna lie, but it was like it, full it, it green. It had no relation to the Celtics. But I got roasted by everyone that night because it was like it was like there. It was like if somebody went to like whatever New Balance and it's like, "Yo, can I get the exact palette?" <laughs> and the athletic just swiped it on. What are some other, I uh, guess, unwritten rules of the of the beat? I mean, there's like you can't, clearly can't be an objective homer. Clearly, you don't can't wear the same color. I know, like, when I was first there, I, like, sidled up to someone else when they were doing a one-on-one in the locker room. It was Asherod Blakely, and he gave me the death stare, like, what the hell are you doing? I have a one-on-one right now. Um, I'm curious, what are the, for the listener out there, what are some other uh, unwritten rules of uh, covering the Celtics? Yeah, I mean... Him was back, you go. Creeping in on one-on-ones is definitely frowned upon, Um I don't know, like the, the most obvious one is, is uh, cheering. And there's one on that that's like, you're really not supposed to do that, right? And nobody does except for one exception. And it's a weird one. It's Scal. And he sits, like, especially national TV games, he'll sit like right in front of me. And like, it'll be a big play. And if it's a national TV game, that usually means it's like a big game or playoffs or something like that. And sometimes he'll get like so into it, he'll jump out of his seat and start like waving his arm. <laughs> And there's part of me that's like this is because in this situation, he's a credentialed media member like he is. But it's also Scal, you know, like he's a former NBA player. It's Scal. And also there's a six foot ten guy in front of me while I'm trying to watch the game. I'm like, sit your ass down, bro. My, my teammate, Gary Washburn, like he's been like, come on, Scal. Like we literally can't see a thing over you. Um, but that's like the only blatant example of cheering that I've seen. But it's like because it's Scal, there's definitely a, 
a fine line. He gets a pass. He also is kind of paid by the team to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even, like, like, I know how, like, like radio and TV announcers get really into it. Like, that doesn't bother me. Um, but this is, like, when Scout isn't even broadcasting. Like, he's just, <laughs> it's, like, because he's sitting up by us because they're not doing the game. Or Tommy's maybe doing the game or something. And he's just out there getting hyped. For a while when they were I, talking. I want to ask him, actually, about that. Like, why, why he cares so much. It was very interesting. I was really curious about it for a long time. Because, you know, he's a guy, he had an NBA career. He didn't play with any of these guys, you know. Um, and I was like, why do you get like that invested in it? And his answer I thought was actually interesting. He said that he really likes the people in this organization and, and wants them to succeed. I thought that was actually like a cool answer. Uh, me too, man. I mean, that's why I'm going to start cheering. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to use that one? Excuse yeah, me, I, I just love these people. I, I would like them to succeed moving forward in their lives. I was co- like contemplating when they're talking about having games with no fans and like they maybe we're going to have media and I was contemplating maybe I was going to have to be the only Celtics fan in the building and I would have taken <laughs> that as an opportunity to start cheering um, just from the front row. But um, Jay, you have about, any un- about front row, bro? Though. Yeah, they would never close. let us that close. I'd have to sit like in loge, but six to eight feet, bro. Jay, do you have any unwritten rules that you just uh, that you hate people breaking or pisses you off while covering the Celtics? Though what bothers me the most is when we'll be in a super long scrum, and some idiot who wasn't paying attention at all but was there the whole time asked the same question that was asked <laughs> earlier in the scrum. It's it's one thing if like you you were interviewing someone else and you came in and you didn't know the question had been asked, but if you were there the whole time and you repeat a question from three minutes earlier, like. Just, just shut it down. <laughs> That's what gets me, and that that happens way more often than it should. Way more often than it should. The the uh, best is when either Brad or a player occasionally. Most often, they just don't pay attention to it. But every now and then, you'll get the like, yeah, like I like I said earlier. It's like their way of being like, <laughs> yeah, buddy, I already literally just talked about this three minutes ago. You know? <laughs> What's the dumbest part of our jobs? The dumbest part is got to yeah. be pregame availability. Like, like they open the locker rooms for a half hour and yeah. then all of the people on the beat go in and stand in the locker rooms. The players have mostly cleared no. out. We need that Packard. We need that because it, it gives you a chance to talk to several guys, whoever's in there. And so I think those are two, these are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. There's ways I, you can do that. Like you could, but I, but I agree it is the dumbest part, but I also think there's value to it, but I agree that it, is the dumbest part. I think there's <laughs> other ways to do it. Most, more often than not, it's mostly just uh, people on the media just shooting the shit while standing in an empty Celtics locker room. Yes, I like. I can't think of a dumber a part of the job other than like I don't know. I don't even really think we like people need to be in the locker room. I feel like, do you think that's like a super valuable? Packer, Packer, we will not. We will not have that on this podcast. I'll, I will kick your, you off the podcast. Defend your stance. I, I will I will fire you from this podcast. Stop coming at me and defend your stance, bruh. <laughs> I just that's the the way to build relationships. Like like you can talk to a guy at practice at practice. Okay, guys come off the court. A lot of the times it's after practice. You can maybe set up a single one on one if you're lucky. A lot of the, a lot of the interviews are in scrums. You you don't have time to talk to guys. You don't have a chance to just shoot the shit with guys in the locker room. You have that, and you're not going to talk to every single guy every day. Some days you're not even going to talk to any player for a while. But just having the chance to to be in there in an environment that's not structured 
and be able to to talk to guys, ask some questions, maybe have a brief conversation with them. That's how to actually build relationships that are different than like, I'm just standing in a pack of 20 people with my microphone held up. That's that's the only way people know us. And it's easier, especially on the road, when there are fewer reporters there, like you can actually get a chance to talk with them. Some of my best stories have come from just sitting there talking to a guy and stumbling into a detail or something that that I didn't know and then later pursuing that. So you are very wrong on this one, Packard. I will not have this slander. No, yeah, no, I've been convinced. It wasn't a strong take by me. It was just a starting conversation. But I think your initial <laughs> but I think your initial point is also like I agree with everything Jay said, but I also agree with what you said initially. Like the vast majority of the time is us standing there in an empty room. And it's like <laughs> just mind numbing. Chatting with each other. Yeah. With players like actively avoiding being in the same room as we are. Yeah. Although it's not as much as it used to be. I'm not sure if you guys have talked about this before, but the Club Gerald, when Gerald Green was on the team. Club Gerald was the the, best, man. The the training room that's adjacent to the locker room. All of a sudden, one day, like, players would be in the locker room a lot, and all of a sudden, they stopped being in the locker room. And we're like, where are these guys? And all of a sudden, you heard music coming out of this adjoining room every day. And one by one, you see players coming in and out, and we're like, man. It wasn't just music. It was like blasting party music. (laughs) Yeah, it was like party music. And then you're like, what's going on in there? And it turns out basically (laughs) Gerald Green just decided, like, during this time, that was going to be their chance to just blast the music and hang out on the training tables instead of around us. i got to respect it, I guess. And you, you could really hear just two things. It'd be rap music blaring, and then it would just be Gerald Green. That was like it. Shouting. <laughs> That's why we called it Club Gerald. It really was. Yeah. And everyone was in there. It was like, like was they, a place to they be. held parties every night before the game. <laughs> Remember we used to talk about like there would be an occasional guy like in the locker room. Not, and they would be like, oh man, he must not have an invite to Club Gerald. <laughs> yeah. Tyler Zeller was always the one who wasn't in there, remember? <laughs> I was thinking about Tyler. I just didn't want to roast the poor guy. But Tyler never got an invite, man. <laughs> he would always he would always sit in his chair in the locker room, and he would be the only one in there. And everyone else was congregating in Club Gerald. Or at least yeah. in our heads, everyone was congregating <laughs> in Club Gerald because we're not allowed in that training room. So we couldn't yeah. actually see what was going on. But we could just hear music, and we could hear laughter, and we could hear, hear Gerald Green. And Tyler Zeller would just be sitting there, <laughs> like 10 feet away from us every once in a while. A reporter would go up and chat with him. But it really was. It was poor Tyler Zeller, man. I'm, I'm not sure he was invited to Club Gerald. Just yeah. for that nugget alone, I, I have totally reversed my decision or opinion on uh, media in the locker room because that's, uh, that's gold right there. That's fantastic stuff. And that's the only thing you can get just from daily hanging out, milling about in the locker room. Um, Adam, we're going to get to the fun part of the show where we talk exclusively uh, about you. Um, I know oh, yeah. that's uh, probably going to be your favorite. I do it um, most of the time. The other people we've talked to, uh, B-Rob, Forsberg, they grew up in Massachusetts. Tom had some sort of odd connection to the Celtics. How did you uh, end up, I guess, covering the, the Boston Celtics? You're, you're more of a legitimate journalist. You've had jobs in other, other cities across the nation <laughs> covering teams. That's wild. I've lived other places. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so where were you before? You were in Louisville, uh, yeah. correct? Yeah, I'll give you uh, like the quick rundown. I'm from Syracuse originally. Then went to college there also. Um, then I worked really briefly at a small newspaper in upstate New York called the Auburn Citizen, where I like typed in bowling scores from like ladies uh, over 60 leagues 
And that was your and first job out of college. Oh yeah, I mean you typed in bowling scores. What does that entail? Um, like no three hundred two ninety eight. Yeah, so like you'd get there was like a weekly. It's a small small <laughs> newspaper, so they would put scores in from like these small local bowling leagues, mostly because it was a smart move on their part because it's a way to get those people to then buy the newspaper. Cause like, why wouldn't you go buy the paper if your name is in there? Like you, you roll the one eighty five. They're like, Oh yeah. Did you see like <laughs> Ethel got a one eighty five? Frame at, that. Yeah. Like, like, uh, Auburn lanes last night. Um, but yeah, so two ways, sometimes they would, the people from the lanes would actually come and deliver little handwritten slips that had the people's name on them and I have to type them in. And then sometimes they would call them in and you'd type them in. So that was fun. So you and just graduated from Syracuse with a journalism degree, and that's your first oh, yeah. job. What are you thinking to yourself as you're entering <laughs> bowling scores? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit. I was I covered high school sports there too. It wasn't like a, that wasn't exclusively bowling scores, but yeah, no, it wasn't great. It was not what I imagined. It was right uh, after 9/11, um, and obviously things weren't great in the economy. And when things don't go well in the economy, typically journalism takes a hit because ad revenue sinks. So it was it was a rough time to enter. The field, but um, I have one. I had one full time offer in Gloversville, New York, which is like halfway, I think, between like Albany and Syracuse. I want to say, and I went for an interview there, and I was like, I'll, I'll be miserable here. But the <laughs> Auburn job, I could like, I still live with my parents, and like my friends were around. It just made more sense, and it was it was a part. It was like a twenty five hour a week job. But anyway, then I got my full time job in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Do you guys know where that is? Oh no, Virginia. we we can't skip over your golf golf writing excursion. Oh, that, yeah, I did like, I wrote like four freelance pieces, one about plugging a guy in the head with a ball, which I'm sure is what you're talking about. (laughs) But yeah, so that, I I mean, I was, I was like grinding that. I did, so I was making $7 an hour at this newspaper job and I was like, I need something. So I would like look online for any kind of freelance things I could find. I did like, I wrote for like this travel site where I would like go on and like, I forget exactly what it was, but it was not reviewing their hotels, but like rewriting stuff that they would send me basically um and then i did some freelancing for that golf site like that was that one jay's referring to was just like a humor piece but other ones i did like other things about courses and stuff like that it was boring but it was like <laughs> a couple, it was a way to make a couple of bucks so how'd you get your big break in fredericksburg yeah, oh, is that yeah, where virginia so, tech is <laughs> no that's blacksburg uh fredericksburg is 50 miles south of dc a big civil war town a lot of battles were there a lot of civil war. You go to like battles. gift shops there. A lot of civil war bullets are on sale. You you but, enjoy uh, the battle of Fredericksburg? You a fan of that battle? Well, yeah, I honestly don't really know much about it to this day. I'm Sadly, googling it now. I have no idea experience. what it's about. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I just applied for it like old school. I just saw a listing on a website and applied for it, and it was actually a great first like full time job. I kind of covered a little bit of everything, primarily high schools, but also a lot of pro sports and college sports. Like I did. Redskins and Wizards, and then a little Virginia and Virginia Tech. Um, and then during that time, um, a friend of mine had been freelancing for the New York Times in D.C. He got a job at the Orlando Sentinel. So I was like, I need some more exposure. I also need some more money. So I reached out to another friend at the Times and was like, hey, so-and-so left. Is there a way I could fill in for them? And they're like, yeah, we'll give you an assignment, see how it goes. And I did one assignment about John Thompson III and John Thompson Jr. It was like just after JT3 had been named head coach um, at Georgetown. And they liked it. And then I started writing for them really often, or pretty often, like probably, you know, at least at least two or three times a month 
for like five years. Um, mostly colleges, but really just everything like DC, Virginia, uh, Maryland, sometimes down North Carolina, like Duke type stuff. Were you um, always a basketball guy? Like growing up, I guess in upstate New York and then going to Syracuse, like obviously basketball's. Yeah. Basketball is always my favorite sport for sure. But I was not like, like there are some people who are like, I have to cover this sport. I was not like that at all. Like I would just want to cover something. Um, but basketball, college hoops, being a Syracuse guy, like I just loved college hoops. Um, but yeah, that wasn't like that big a deal. I just wanted, I did want to be in sports journalism though. Like I didn't want to be. Who's your favorite college basketball player? Oh, easy question. Sherman Douglas. Ooh. The legend. Ooh. Former Celtic. <laughs> Sherman Sherman Douglas. Douglas. Former Celtic. No, not Lawrence yeah. Moton? No, no. Lawrence Moton was when I was a little older. Sherman was in like my formative years. I was like seven years old. And the guy was just a legend. All-time NCAA assist leader for a long time. Took him to the championship game in 1987 when I was like seven years old. So yeah, when what, what, when did you stop being a fan then? If you were uh, if we're holding you to your uh, strict journalistic oh, standards, I'm, not, I'm still I'm still a Syracuse fan, but I just don't cover I just don't cover them. Like I don't I don't think people I don't think journalists can't be fans. I just think you should not be a fan of the team you cover. Um, but yeah, so this guy Syracuse is the only team I have left. Though. Like as a kid, I liked all the New York teams, like pro teams, but I literally have zero connection to any of them anymore. It's been like years. Syracuse hoops is the only thing I still like care about. What do you yeah, think? So I, oh, I'll go say, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, How did you get from Fredericksburg to... Uh, yeah, so I was there for a while. Do it, like The time stuff was great. I had some opportunities that come from that. Obviously, people respect the times a lot, um, but I kind of was waiting for something. What was it right. like when you first saw your name printed in the New York Times, the paper of record? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's, like, it was one <laughs> of those where I would go every time and buy the paper every single time at the grocery store whenever it was, was out. Whereas, like now, not to be like jaded, but I can't remember the last time I... I held the globe in my hands as the print version, which I hope my bosses, bosses aren't <laughs> listening to that. One hilarious story is, uh, so obviously, like, I had my job at Mass Live probably three years at, at this time. And Bill Russell was had his statue in uh, unveiled, I think it was in 2013. And... You know, I, I'd been writing for Mass Live my, stories all the time. My my name, you know, my bylines in the paper, Springfield Republican newspaper. Um, <laughs> I I was in the back of a picture, like the very back of a picture, on the front of the Boston Globe, and I got like five calls from my aunts and uncles, like Jay, you were in the Boston Globe today. I was like, Are you serious? Like I'm in a newspaper every day. Like I'm literally like, like you can barely see my face in the back of this picture. Uh, but like the the Times, the Globe, those places have cachet. So that, that that's cool that you got that you actually bought the newspaper every time. And I feel like my aunts and uncles would have done the same for me. They probably did, even though I was just featured in the back of a photo <laughs> where we should find that photo i actually went went looking for it one day because it really was hilarious it was a hilarious hilarious photo i was just like a tiny little speck in the in the crowd and they all spotted me somehow <laughs> that's pretty good no it is like there's like i still remember uh during college i worked for the syracuse newspaper the post standard um the city's paper and like my first thing there was putting in high school scores that people coaches would call in their box scores and i remember just being like really just like finding the whole like i don't know the whole 
journalism world like it was magical to me. So like the next day I would be like really proud that like when I picked up the paper and I would see like a fucking box score that I put in. Like it took no talent or like creativity, but I'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's the one I did last night. And I remember actually like really thinking it was cool. Man, what what happened to me? When did I become so yeah, jaded? Yeah, when did you get so jaded? <laughs> At what point is this before uh, or after the New York Times? Yeah. Okay, so then uh, after the Times I went to Louisville, as you mentioned earlier, in 2012. I'd actually interviewed a year earlier to cover Kentucky, to be their Kentucky beat writer and live in Lexington, but that didn't quite work out and was not what I, it just wasn't going to be the best situation for me. But then a year later, they reached out for a columnist slash investigative job, which is like the two things I enjoy the most. So I went for that and it was just awesome experience. Like I'd never been to Louisville before I moved there, um, but cool paper, obviously very similar to Boston, like intense sports uh, area. Wait, was it a sports job or is it just like general column yeah. and investigator? Like what do you, no, what just types sports. of things are you investigating? Yeah, just sports. Um, so like like the last one, I, I did a couple, like one I was about a, a cheerleader, actually university level cheerleader who over, overdosed and died. I did like a pretty in-depth piece on that. Um, one was about a lacrosse coach there who'd been like abusive towards players. I, did a pretty deep investigation on that story. So how do hold on? I did not know this about you, and this is awesome. How do you start like an investigation like that? That's a cool process. Um, well, the cheerleader dying was you know you saw it was kind of public information, obviously, that or it comes out that hey somebody this cheerleader died of a drug overdose. Um, so I just does your editor gum like figure out what happens at like happened there Himmelsbach and then just like oh we kind of just I think we talk about it. like obviously we do stories when it happens and then as it goes on you start to say all right what's going on here you know who who is responsible who is like is this a problem with the culture there maybe is there like are there other issues going on in school like why why was there not help that that sort of thing um, the one with the lacrosse coach who was being abusive toward the players was a couple of parents reached out to me and said, hey, this is what's going on. Can you look into it? And, you know, obviously you do. And, and as more and more people you call, you find there's more and more stuff there. Do you have a preference, like, comparing, like, investigative column work towards, I guess, the beat work, which is more routine now? I mean, yeah, I would, take, not the I would take investigative column long form 100 times out of 100. Uh, Jay, Jay. <laughs> Jay hears me complain about like the monotony of beat work like every week, like especially because part of it is that we're all writing the same thing, and part of it's like so and so has a sprained ankle, and you have to address it. And then the next day you're asking, okay, how's the sprained ankle feeling now? And then the next day, oh, ooh, is there a setback in the sprained ankle? Okay, let's, any updates, Brad? Like, yeah, any updates, Brad? Oh, oh, not not that I've heard, but I haven't talked to the medical staff. Not yet. that I've heard, but I don't ask any questions, so I can yeah. answer this honestly. <laughs> Robert like, Williams I, is still out, still expected to get reevaluated near the All-Star break. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I don't really see the value in that journalism-wise, to be honest. What but, types of columns would you be writing at Louisville? A um, little bit of everything. I, try, I, I probably had more of a human interest uh, focus, um, but obviously there, University of Louisville and University of Kentucky hoops just kind of rule the world. So it was a lot of that, like... During the season, it was I would go to the games and write columns from games. But then, like during the spring, you're writing about recruit recruiting columns. Like it's it's what people want to read about. What um, was your, who was more to, of a maniac to deal with, Calipari or Patino? Because they were both there at the time, right? Yeah, they were both there. Um, Rick Patino has many investigations that you could go after. Yeah, so you know, I did some of those too. Like I did 
like like a Kentucky one I did was uh, about their trip. They did a trip to the Bahamas um, at one of those like it was like a off season thing. It wasn't like Battle for Atlantis, but it was like a team thing where they played like the Bahamas professional team or whatever. And they went for like a week and stayed at the Atlantis. And that's like, you know, a public school. So you can just do a Freedom Information Act requests. And I found out like the trip cost, I don't have the numbers, I'll butcher it, but it was like $600,000, some outrageous amount they just spent to go play in the Bahamas. Um, so stuff like that. <laughs> that's, that's unreal. But to go back to your question, Jay, I didn't really, Calipari, Kentucky and Louisville had di- way, way different media experiences. Uh, Kentucky was much more shielded. You didn't really have access to anyone. After games, they would bring two players out to sit at like director's chairs and people swarmed them in scrums. That was my first true scrum experience. Prepared me for Boston. Um, Ooh, and you needed that experience for Boston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Calipari, I didn't really, like, I met him a couple of times, but he, he knew who I was. But we didn't really have a relationship, but Patino, I would like, Patino's a huge texter, so I would like text with him and he was much more accessible. Um, and then like post game, they would open up their locker room almost like an NBA team would as well, which I think was good. It was like Terry was, Terry was there, then Terry Rozier, Montrez Harrell. Um, and I think it was good for those guys too in terms of media prep to have that experience of, all right, this is probably what it's going to be like at the next level. What was the first conversation with Terry when he, when he saw you in Boston? He's like, what the hell are you doing here? Uh, no, like, uh, I'm trying to think on draft night, obviously the Celtics drafted him. And that was just after I got, that was, I got here in January, 2015. And then Terry was drafted in June, 2015. And my buddy, Jeff Greer, who's from the athletic and it's now he's still freelancing for you guys. Uh, Jay, uh, he was still covering Louisville at the Louisville Courier Journal, and he was at Terry's draft party uh, in Cleveland or Shaker Heights, Ohio. And I remember, I wish like, I'd been at that draft party. Yeah, so I remember like, oh man, this is great. They draft Terry. Like, I'm gonna get like an exclusive here. Uh, so I like went out in the hallway. At, I don't remember the Celtics had their media thing that year. It's probably at the practice facility or whatever. But I went in the hallway. And called, I didn't have Terry's number, but I said Jeff's, and I knew he was there. So I called Jeff and was like, dude, like, I cover the freaking Celtics now. Like, <laughs> help me out. And he was like, all right. And you just hear, like, in the background, you just hear people partying, like, music's playing, <laughs> people are screaming. And uh, he's like, and Jeff is like screaming into the phone. He's like, all right, I'm going to try to get him. He's like, what? He's like, he goes, what? He's in the pool. Oh, Terry just jumped in the pool. Terry just jumped in the pool. And there was some place where there was a swimming pool. And Terry, like, went, I think with all his clothes on, just like jumped into the pool uh, to celebrate. And then, But then he got out and then I got him on the phone and got like a couple of quotes and rushed them out. And then, sure enough, you know, of course, 20 minutes later, he did a conference call with all of us. But I had like a 20-minute scoop with Terry Rozier. <laughs> Jeff's a hell of a friend for that. Yeah, that's my that's my guy. He could have taken that scoop for himself, but um, so what made you decide to like be you leave investigative column work in Louisville to to like apply for the Celtics job at the Globe? That's a that's actually a good question, Pat. Pat you're, just looking for... you're, you're asking some pretty good questions here. You're showing some journalism chops today. Ooh, maybe I'm not just a professional <laughs> I'll, I'll... fan. Huh? I'll tell you what, Packard Packard has been trending way up lately. Packard, <laughs> oh, wow. Packard, stop, Packard stop since up. he became the the lead host, has just just taken off. I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I'm gonna gas up Packard right now because wow. his his hosting skills have just just skyrocketed. That's big. Anything's possible. Anything's <laughs> possible. Thank you. That's good. That's good. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, it's almost like I uh, was a professional radio person and uh, practiced being a host and podcast host. Maybe, maybe that stuff's there. But thank you, Jay. I'm just so flustered by Jay giving me a compliment. Yeah, our, rad- our entire podcast relationship is just Jay being oppositional and kind of just difficult. So this is really uh, throw me for a loop. But I believe the question is why'd you uh, why'd you join, <laughs> yeah. try to join the globe? Is it is it like my move for the? Uh, Joining the athletic is is for the clout. For the for the clout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so there's there's a few reasons. Um, one is like in journalism, you're generally not always, but you're generally just trying to go to bigger markets. Um, partly because you want more exposure. Partly because obviously it pays more the bigger the market you go to. So obviously Louisville to Boston is an advance as far as that goes. Um, the other part is I, I love Louisville a lot. Uh, but I didn't have like any family anywhere close to there. Uh, and my family and I have family in Syracuse, New York city, uh, DC, like I know good family friends in Boston. So it made more sense. My family's had a place in the Cape since I was like a baby. So my, my parents are down here all the time. So just in terms of getting back closer to people that I care about, it was cool for that. And then I hadn't been like a true beat writer yet, honestly, like I'd done the stuff in Virginia where I like, half-ass covered the Wizards and Redskins where I'd do like home games and just write boring game stories and then whatever. And then in, in the times I'd done more features and things like that. And then in Louisville, more columns and enterprise, I was like, I kind of want this challenge and see what this is like. So. And what was your first impression um, when Jay King walked into the media room and said, what's up motherfuckers. Oh man. I found Jay so (laughs) annoying the first like couple of weeks. No lie. I was like, who is this loud motherfucker? <laughs> and that, the, the, the time I, Jay, do you? This is funny. It's like it, it's like people were dating. Do you remember our first dinner? Ooh, our first I, dinner. Uh, yeah, I actually remember. It was. I remember it. Uh, Jay I mean, clearly does I, not. Yeah, I I can't say that I. We've had a lot of so, dinners. So him was yeah, and I yeah. go to dinner a lot on the road together. Yeah. So and it was. I don't it was on the road. The it was like one of my first road trips. And at this point, I didn't really know anybody in the beat. Like I just started. And I'd met Jay a little bit, and it was a West Coast trip, so there weren't many writers there. And it was Salt Lake, and I was like, yeah, we like typed like, yeah, you want to grab some dinner? Yeah, and I like didn't. Even, I thought you were kind of annoying then, but I was like, I was like, got it. I was like, I'm gonna be spending so much time around these guys. I got to get to know them a little bit. And I went to dinner, and I found out he was, you know, kind of a cool, cool dude. Jay, you have That's no it? memory of this. You you have nothing better from that dinner. Just that I was kind of a cool dude. I mean, I, I, you know. The, <laughs> I think it was like it wasn't the Brazilian Steakhouse because that's where we went with Forsberg, but it was like it was like in that little you know the little mall plaza in Salt Lake. I think it was in there. I, I do remember that Brazilian Steakhouse because it was like an eleven dollar all you can eat Brazilian Steakhouse, and Kelly Olynyk was in love with it. I remember we were talking yeah. about it in it front of him. And he's like, "Yeah, it's like like just a regular ass." Brazilian steakhouse, but Kelly loved it. <laughs> I do remember that. But I just remember going. Yeah, I don't remember that. Forsberg going ham on the pineapple at the Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> I remember I ate a chicken heart, and you guys video. You did do that. Me. That's right. <laughs> you guys thought I'd be too big a coward to eat a chicken heart, but yo, nobody called it, it is... a coward. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to get Jay to do anything is say he won't. <laughs> What's funny too is I'm not surprised I annoyed you at first, because I feel like you're a pretty irritable guy. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> also, you're well, quieter of the people on the beat, so Jay and your energy levels just do not necessarily match. 
Yeah, see, that's part. Like, I think our engineer level does does matter. I think that's why it works. But initially, there's a lot of friction there. (laughs) I wouldn't even call it friction, but I was just like, this dude's just kind of annoying. That was my first take. (laughs) But I'm wrong. I'm 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 wrong on that stuff pretty often. Like, there's times where I'll like, like I remember my freshman year of college. Like, the dude across the hall from me was like, I met him. I was like, this guy's awesome. Like, he's my best friend. And then, like, three days, I found out he was, like, the biggest douche on earth. And then, like, the guy I found annoying turned out to be one of my best buddies from college. So I'm, I'm not great at the initial. Uh... I guess not. You're much better at entering in bowling scores. Yeah. What 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 is a favorite story you've ever worked on? Uh, man, that's a tough one. Narrow it to I'm Celtics old. if it's easier because probably the listeners, folks out there will care more about it than fair that will make it easier because i'm old and i've done all stories now um okay i got two i got a selfless one and a non-selfless one i'll be fast uh like it the the non-celtics one was for the times it was about a basketball player his name was kevin lau uh and he was born with one arm well one arm and the other one goes down like almost to where his elbow would be basically and uh he was six foot ten or is six foot ten and was playing basketball at Fork Union Academy in Virginia and was trying to get That's a college scholarship. That's where Ben scholarship. Wallace went. Yeah, it is. Good, good pull. Uh, they had, it's a good program, like, especially in the past it was. Uh, so I did, went down and did a big feature on him. It was a really cool story. Um, just kind of everything he's kind of overcome and trying to become a basketball player, like just by having one arm. And the, the president of Manhattan University read the story in the Times and was like, this kid is incredible. And he reached out to Manhattan's coach and was like, I want you to put this or give this kid a chance to come onto our team. He had no offers at that time. And sure enough, he did. And then he ended up playing for Manhattan like because of that story. So that was pretty cool. That's pretty dope. Yeah. That's unreal. That That is really cool. Um, for for Celtics related, it's probably the stuff I've done with Terry just because I, I got to know him a little bit. And he really has such an incredible backstory. Um, obviously, with, you know, his father has been in prison or was in prison most of his life. He's out now, thankfully. And um, his mother's been through a lot of hard times. His sister has cerebral palsy. Like, it's just a family that's overcome a lot. So I've done a few stories of him, um, just kind of what that has been like for him and how he's gotten to where he is now. People see Terry, like the brash dude that he is, but he's he's really been through a lot. What's your relationship like with uh, Gunna Man, Terry's friend slash uh, rapper? Yeah, I don't know Gunner Man that well, to be honest. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. I'll, I'll introduce you next time he comes to yeah. a game. He's a GMB, though. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> now, uh, we don't have to talk about GMB, but it's a hilarious topic. Um, Jay, do you have any uh, further <laughs> wow. questions? Wow, wow. Five minutes ago, we praised Packers' interview skills, and then he comes back <laughs> with the long, oh. Um. Well, I wanted to get into GMB, but I know too much. I and mean, uh, I don't think either of you guys want to talk about organized crime. So um, we'll avoid that topic. We'll sidestep that topic. Fair. Um, any players, since you've come to Boston, have been like your favorite people to interview or quote or like most interesting beyond, I guess, Terry, just because there's history there. Any Who are your yeah. favorite characters? Uh, anyone who follows my Twitter knows the guy I tweet about like 900 times a year is the, the god ET, Evan Turner. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a what a legend he is like truly in every phase of life every word he says is funny even when he's not trying to be funny when he is trying to be funny it's like the funniest thing you've ever heard like and just a nice on top of that all he's just like a nice dude who gives you time and is thoughtful like et is the legend back in the day when i didn't have any idea what i was doing i would go in the locker room and just kind of plant myself generally near his locker 
just because that was when you just be the most entertained. For real, for real. The 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 best is so we still line up like we still all congregate to interview Evan Turner whenever he comes to play the Celtics, and it just pisses off Tim Bontemps. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because <laughs> Tim Bontemps is the enemy of fun. He but he he doesn't get that you can appreciate more about a player and. A, the guy's, averaging, the guy's averaging four player. minutes a game. This guy's playing 16 <laughs> minutes a game. I'm not sure what your uh, standby's locker for. <laughs> I don't know why. Why you need 20, 20 people interviewing him when he only he's only going to play four minutes a game. He's not even going to play tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, those are my favorite. E.T. is way up there. He, he is a legend. He is, he's just the best. Like, honestly, I say, like, from all, all the years covering all sports, he'd be number one, like, at any level, honestly. He's and on top of that, like I was saying earlier, he's like a good human being too. Like some people are funny, but you know, kind of leave it there. Evan is just like a genuinely good dude. Yeah, he's he's top notch. We'll, we'll leave it there. We'll we'll leave it with the Evan Turner talk. Yeah, no, we That's we got forty five minutes of uh, gold content, which is uh, all the listener yeah. gods need to listen to. Adam, I'll, I'll see you guys again at the next quarantine. Yeah, how did how did it go? How did it feel? <laughs> Something you really didn't want to do. Uh, I, I, it's not even that I didn't want, like, I do podcasts. Sometimes it almost, it almost became like my own, uh, uh it was maybe, a bit, like, it was a running bit. Yeah. It, it almost <laughs> became my own running bit. Yeah. I mean, I go on with my guy Kaufman. <laughs> Jay, Jay is really shaming me, but that, part of this is the way Jay says it. Like if people like, you want to do a podcast? I'm like, I don't think so. And he'll like get all mad at me and I'm like, all right, then I'm definitely not going to do it. <laughs> There's no way I ever got mad at you. I didn't, I never even asked you cause I knew you would just knock him on. No, you used to and ask then, me in the past all the time. Ooh, maybe maybe your, at first, not, but, not in the athletic days, but your pre-athletic days. I'm talking. But yeah, maybe, so you, but you but then I realized never, and then, and then the the yeah. coronavirus struck, and I was like, you know what? He he's he's gonna be self. I really know where else to go. Yeah. No, you you were on the top yeah. of my list, Adam, because I feel like you're one of the few people who appreciate my nonsense. So uh, I I, I do I, appreciate your nonsense, Packard. I will admit. Yeah. No. It's. I think you're one one of my bigger fans on the beat. I wouldn't. I think appreciating fans. One of my bigger bit. fans. Yeah, let's 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 scale it down a little bit. I think that's. <laughs> but I appreciate it. You're one of my bigger fans. I like that. Well, yeah, no, I'm just killing it today. Well, Adam, <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks for being a fan. I'm I am a professional fan as well. It's nice to talk to you two uh, journalists here. Uh, if you guys have enjoyed the podcast, we're going to be continuing talking to our friends. Although uh, we're running out of people to talk to on the Celtics beat, so who knows. Uh, but we'll continue creating content. Um, next week, we're going to be, or later this week, uh, call into the voicemail line that we set up. We'll be answering your voicemails. That'll be some more fun and nonsense. Uh, but thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate five stars, tell a friend, whatever. Do everything that podcast hosts tell you to do. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!